0: Good morning, everybody. Let's get some volume in there. Titus chapter 3, please. Be in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. I want to double up on one of the announcements. uh, The missions conference this year. We are going to have Brother Adrian Dominguez. He's a pastor from Colorado. He'll be with us preaching the conference. He and his teenage daughter are flying in from the United States just to be with us for the missions conference. And then some of the missionaries we support, Ivan and Mahi, they are home right now from Papua, and they are going to be with us during the missions conference as well. So if you would, please keep those people specifically in your prayers and make time to be here for that meeting. I, I, I say this because last year uh, we had several visitors come from other places in South Africa to be at the Friday evening service, the Saturday service. But we didn't have a lot of potch people for it. Uh, our members were actually outnumbered by the out-of-town visitors. And we want to be a blessing to these folks coming from out-of-town. And uh, this is not something... I, I know it's not a... Maybe not something you grew up with. Maybe in the church you, you grew up in, missions, conferences weren't a staple. But please be here for those services. I'm sure you'll get a blessing from it. All right, Titus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Paul is telling this young man, Titus, how to operate churches there on the island of Crete. And he says to him in verse 1, Put them, put your church members in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. That's a very broad, sweeping statement. He's simply saying to be obedient to the government. Don't worry, I'm not preaching on that this morning. But there's, there's good stuff there. Verse 2, to speak evil of no man. Don't worry, not preaching on that either. Just letting that sink in. To speak evil of someone is to say things about them that are not true. Now, you see, if you're telling the truth about them, that's that's one thing. But then there's the other side to it where you're just trying to make them look bad. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers. Don't intentionally get into fistfights with people. But gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. How is it that Paul can say we we should treat people gently and meekly? What does he mean by that? Well, I deal with people in a humble, in a patient manner because I used to be just like them. That's the overall thought he's going to give you here. The reason I can be patient with your mistakes, I don't have to deal with you so harshly is because there's a good chance I've already made that same mistake So I understand what you're going through. And I need to remember that Christ has forgiven me. And that he dealt gently with me. Amen. Hasn't he dealt gently with you? David went as far as to say, Thy gentleness hath made me great. Because if God dealt with us in the way we deserved, if God did not have mercy at all, none of us would be here today, I would say. He would have long ago taken us out. He says in verse 3, you'll see where this thought comes from. Why are we gentle and meek with people? Verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We're going to circle back around to verse 3 momentarily. Can you skip with me down to verse number 7? that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now the reason I've skipped a few verses is I want you to see in verse 3 for we ourselves and then there's a description of what we were like. And then in verse 7 that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs so the we of verse 3 that horrible sounding bunch in verse 7 ends up justified and an heir of God and today what we're going to talk about is how that happens so if you would would you bow your heads with me let's have a word of prayer father we come to you in Jesus name and thank you Lord you've already spoken to our hearts this morning Lord, we're thankful this morning to know we serve a risen Savior, that He's alive, He's among us, He lives within our hearts. Lord, please, for those that are here today and never been saved, would You allow the Spirit of God to draw them today. Please, Lord, work among us, move among us this morning. Lord, I am not sufficient to preach this, so please, God, would You do the work today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, have you ever had to ask somebody this question? Very unsettling question. You ever had to go to somebody and say, "Are we all right?" (laughs) Now that's a very different question than somebody saying, "Are you all right?" (laughs) That's that's not so bad. Are you all right? It kind of depends on the tone of their voice, you know. Are you all right? That, that's not a great question, but hey, are you all right? It's, it's almost the, the same as how are you doing, right? It's, it's, it's not that bad of a question, but when you replace the pronoun instead of saying are you all right, you say are we all right, it, it signifies that there was an issue between the both of you. Somebody did something wrong, and now we're not certain that we're on good terms. We're not able to enjoy fellowship with each other so we need to ask the question are we alright have we dealt with that mistake that was made in the past or do we still need to do something about it you know that's a pretty good question to ask God have you ever asked him that have you ever turned your eyes to heaven and said God are we alright maybe there's some things that go on in your life and you it, it, it causes you to Take a second and ask that question. God, I know I've made some mistakes and i tried to make up for it. I just want to know, are we all right? Because by what's happening right here, I'm not so sure we are. And God help you, there's a lot of people I believe laboring under a false assumption. They've never taken time to ask that question. They just assume everything must be all right between me and God. I mean, He is a loving God. It's a good question to ask, God. Are we all right now? The, in verse number seven, you find this word justified. Garrett spoke of this already in the Sunday school hour. Which, by the way, if you don't come out for that, I'm telling you, you're missing out. This this young man, God has His hand upon this man to teach. Wow, wow! I, I encourage you to be here for that hour. He's going through the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and it's just outstanding. He spoke of justification, and and the word means to be declared righteous or to be declared innocent. Now, when it comes to God saying it to you, can you imagine how big of a deal that would be for God to look down and say, innocent, not guilty? Now, for those of you that have had the pleasant experience of going to court under accusation, (laughs) You can appreciate what a tremendous relief it is to hear the judge say, not guilty. I think a simpler way to put justification, we can say it this way, is you are made right. So my question today, God, are we all right? You can see how this works into justification. This is God answering the question and saying, yes, yes, You're all right. Things are fine. So verse 7, tremendous verse. We have been justified by His grace. Things are all right. Now, why is this such a big deal that we can say I've been justified? God has declared me innocent. Well, you have to appreciate verse 3. You can't appreciate verse 7 without understanding verse 3. Without at least taking time to to look at it. Verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Now you may be everything in the list. You may be two or three things in the list. I don't know you, you know you. If you're anything like me, you are the whole list plus some things that are not in the list. So the the things that Paul has mentioned, bear in mind, he's just drawing a quick sketch of what an unsaved sinner looks like. In verse 3, we were foolish. You say, what does that mean? To be foolish is to make rash decisions for bad reasons. If you look it up in the dictionary, I like this definition. I think we can wrap our heads around it. Stupidity. (laughs) Have Have you ever done something and then right afterwards or maybe the next day or a week later turned around and said what was I thinking? <laughs> right? Those of you in your 40s <laughs> we look back to our teenage years or even in our 20s or even last week and say what was I thinking? <laughs> that, that decision could not have worked and yet in the moment I thought it was a good decision. Foolish. Paul also said Disobedient. say, so what's he getting at? That's a rebellious man. This describes what kind of people we are before we meet Christ. We, we are looking for an opportunity to do what you told us not to do. Have you ever felt that streak in you? The thing you want to do is the thing you're not supposed to do. And for some people, that's the only fun they can have amen teenagers listen for some people that's the only fun they can have it's not fun if it's not naughty or wrong or or somebody doesn't approve then all of a sudden it becomes appealing and attractive sometimes i think we should tell people going to church is bad <laughs> then we need more chairs <laughs> disobedient the next thing in the list is deceived This is a a very broad topic, but let's say it like this. Having false ideas about God, about the Bible, or about reality in general. Not understanding who God truly is, not understanding what you truly are. Deceived. If you were like me, you grew up in a church, but it was only years later that you realized the things that were said in that church did not line up with the Bible and again we, we labor under a false assumption I'm in a church we're talking about God I believe in this man named Jesus but that's about all we know and everything we think about how God works because we've never taken time to investigate it with the Bible to see if it's true we, we just think we got it right deceived it scares me a little bit forgive me if I bunny trail just for a moment How many people call themselves Bible-believing Christians and they've never read the Bible? Why do you believe it? Just because someone else told you to? I mean, at least you believe it. But do you understand, it's not going to have the same effect as someone who actually has checked into it. So enough preaching on that. Deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Well, that's a great description of a lost person. He is a slave to his desires. He lives for his hobbies. His God is whatever his hobby is. That's what he works for. He makes money so that he can feed the hobbies. He lives for the weekend. Whatever that lust, whatever that pleasure is, you can chalk it up to liquor. You can chalk it up to various lusts of the flesh, pornography. You could put money in there. Some people just like to have money. It's fun to have money. Some people, you know, they, they, they put it into sports or to various games. I don't care which hobby you pick. Now understand, some of those things are inherently wrong. I'm not against hobbies. Please don't make me, I'm not trying to make you feel bad for that. But it, it does become a problem when you become a servant to the hobby, You understand? Lust and pleasures. Broad topics so you can fill in the blanks. But before you get saved, you're unable to be a proper servant to God to yield your life to that. Rather, you yield yourself. You avail yourself. You sacrifice on the behalf of your hobbies whatever makes your flesh feel good. Then Paul says, Living in malice and envy. What, what does that mean? Living in malice and envy. Malice is being mean on purpose. Being mean on purpose. How many of you know someone that has malice? They're just mean people. They, they're looking for a chance to say something mean. They, they, it seems as if it makes them happy to make other people feel bad. But Paul mixes this malice and envy. malice feeds off the envy. So what is envy? Envy is when you are upset that someone else has it better than you. So you look at somebody else's life. You say he has better things. They have better luck. They have a better job. Good things are happening to them, but they're not happening to me And I don't like this. I don't think it's fair. So I am purposely going to be mean to that person. I am going to gossip about them. I'm going to speak behind their back. I'll be nice to their face because I hope they share with me. But as soon as they're not looking and listening, I am going to tear them to pieces because I'm really angry at them. I'm jealous of them. Malice and envy. And then this flows right into the end of verse 3. Hateful. You should be able to appreciate that word. It's two words put together, actually. Hateful. Full of hate. Folks, we can find these sins throughout the world. Don't make me. I don't want you to think. I'm not trying to make you think that these are South African sins. I mean, these are sins of mankind. All flesh is grass. But I must admit, hateful and hating one another, this happens way too much in South Africa. And I'll tell you why, and I'm not afraid to say this, under the heading of hate, right? That's the heading under that. One of the ways that hate is manifested is racism. Hateful, full of hate. This is looking for a reason not to like people. For someone to look at another person and predetermine in their mind, because of the way they look, I don't like them. Because and and folks, when we're talking about skin color, you must understand that person that was born with that skin color had no choice in the matter. Skin color is not a choice. Unless you're Michael Jackson. He didn't he didn't know if he was black or white he made a song about it, right? He, did, he looked at the man in the mirror and said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how Michael Jackson got into my sermon. He, he's not in my notes. but By the way, and again, I'm bunny trailing a little bit. Racism is not owned by any one skin color. It's silly. It's foolish. It's foolish to say white people are racist. It's foolish to say black people are racist. People. People can be racist. Racism happens everywhere to everyone to some extent. Right? So it doesn't matter... Who is doing it to whom? It's wrong. It's hateful. It falls under the heading of foolish, malice, hating one another. Do you find yourself in verse 3 anywhere? As I mentioned earlier, I, I see myself in that. I can think back in my, in my life, all of those things have been there at one time or another. Now you take the man of verse 3, you take the woman of, Of verse three, and stand that person in the presence of God. Let the man of verse three say, "God, are we all right? Look, God, I've been foolish, and I'm I'm a slave to my sin, and I hate people, and I'm purposely mean, and I'm envious at what they have, and and I'm looking for a chance to to rebel." You take that man. How do you think he's going to do at the judgment? You think you can take a man of verse 3, stand him in the presence of God, and God will say, yeah, yeah, he looks right to me. There's no way. There's no way this man is going to measure up. The man of verse 3 is doomed. Amen? He's doomed. You know this. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 3, it's a no-brainer. There's no way this man's going to measure up. And and might I remind you, we're not just talking about the final judgment, God deciding, are you going to heaven or hell? I'm talking about, even in this life, can a man in verse 3, can he walk with God? Can he have a relationship and a a fellowship with God? Again, no-brainer. If he says, God, are we all right? There's no way that man is right in the sight of God. No way. But, in verse 7, he gets justified. In verse 7, we read that God looked at that man and said, Yep, Yesrah." You're right. How did that happen? Who paid the judge under the table? What happened here? That God would look at that guy and say, Yep, I accept you. You and me, we can, we can walk together. We can talk together. Not just in this life, but throughout all eternity Verse 7, we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You understand what an heir is. Someone, in this case God, has laid up something for you to inherit one day. What does God have in store for you? If you're saved, here's the plan. Before the foundation of the world, God made a plan. His plan was that the people in verse 3 are so bad they'll never find their way back to me so I am going to send my son and he is going to die for their sins and if anybody receives my son as their savior I will then come and live inside of that person change that person so that they don't look like verse 3 anymore little by little conform them to the image of my son so that we can fellowship so that we can have a a strong and peaceful relationship And then that person one day is going to be resurrected, taken into my presence, never to leave my side. Now, what makes a person in verse 3 think that he deserves that? Why would anybody from verse 3 say, yeah, I I think God is going to do that with me. Now, if you're honest with yourself, you'd have to look at verse 3, you'd have to look at yourself and say, God, I don't deserve that. Based on verse 3. I don't deserve to spend any time with you now. And I certainly don't deserve to live with you forever. But still more in verse 7. It says being justified. Watch it. By His grace. You know what grace is? God giving you something you don't deserve. It doesn't say. and, And here's where I believe a lot of. I'm going to use air quotes, quote unquote Christians, this is their thinking. I believe that Jesus died on a cross. I believe that he rose again. And I go to a Christian church and I'm doing the best I can to keep the commandments and be a good person. So because I'm trying my best and I do believe that a man named Jesus existed and that he did those things, I think God will one day accept me into heaven. Folks, that's not how somebody gets made right in the sight of God. It says we're justified by grace. We're not justified by our own efforts. We're not justified by doing the best we can. We're not justified simply by believing that there was a man named Jesus who died on a cross. That's not enough. Although that is historically true, and you're right to believe that, that is not enough to get the man out of verse 3 and into verse 7. You've got to accept that grace. You're not justified by what you're doing. You're justified because of what Jesus did for you. That is grace. One preacher said it like this, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. The riches is the inheritance that he has laid up for you. That plan of working in you and and you living with him forever. In verse number 6, I know we're skipping around in this passage, but you'll see my point. Verse 6, it says, Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Well, when he says he shed on us, he gave us something abundantly, what was it that he gave us? Verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. That is what He gave us abundantly. Kindness and love. You take this person of verse 3, this horrible wretch of a sinner. God could have easily just stomped on him, wiped him out and said, You deserve the worst. You know what God did to this person who was hateful and mean and rebellious and just, a, as we would say in the South in America, a nasty cuss of a man. God showed up and said, bless your heart, you're a wreck. But I love you anyway. And you deserve the worst, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you my very best. I am going to come down in human form And I'm going to allow sinful men to grab hold of me and nail me to a cross. And I'm going to stand in your place. I'll pay for your sins so that you and I can be made right. So that we can be all right. I'll give you a moment to do this experiment. It shouldn't take you too long. Think of your worst enemy here on earth. You got him? Don't dwell on it, but just for a couple seconds, remember how bad they treated you? All the ugly things they said about you? You got it? Okay. Now, if you were to react like God, what you do is show up and give them abundantly kindness and love. Now, can you picture yourself doing that? Yeah, now I see everybody going... (laughs) you're thinking about how you actually reacted (laughs) not God the Bible says in Romans 5 for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he didn't come down here and say, oh, you guys are trying your best and you're, you're actually pretty good people. So I'll tell you what, because you've tried so hard, I'll go ahead and die for you. God came down and you know what it says in John? It says he made the world and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. He came down to this earth and the earth said, away with him, crucify him a bunch of people that hated him rebellious foolish deceived servants of lusts and pleasures get away from us and he said father forgive them they know no they they don't know what they're doing kindness and love and i want to say abundantly verse 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done what made us right in the sight of God not what we did now here's what a lot of folks do I appreciate the nobility of this but it's not going to be enough but what they do is they say I'm going to turn over a new leaf you know what my life is a mess and it is my fault and I've I've done wrong I'm just going to try harder I'm all for new leaves amen I'm all for it Amen. Try harder. Be a better person. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to be enough. I've heard preachers say this. They say, you can't change without Christ. I don't know if I agree with that. I've seen lots of people change that don't have Christ. Lots of people. They make themselves better versions of themselves. I've seen people get off drugs, alcohol, quit porn, treat their wives better get a job I've seen people become better people but that person who has become a better version of themselves if they go to God and say God now that I'm a better version of myself are we all right the answer is gonna be no I'm sorry you can only be justified by my grace not by your works of righteousness if you if you have any doubts just ask Adam when Adam sinned, what did he do he made his wife sew fig leaf aprons. <laughs> I just assumed that that Adam didn't sew the aprons. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm not trying to be a sexist here, but he, the Bible says that they they had on aprons made of fig leaves, right? God said, "Adam, where art thou?" Adam comes out from behind the tree, and God says, "Why were you hiding?" He says, "Well, I was naked." God said, uh, "Well, what are you wearing?" He said, Well, I, I made this. I had this made. I don't know. Maybe he went to Edgar's and bought one. <laughs> he, he said, God, I got this wonderful little fig apron. Isn't this enough? So that you and I can you know, be together, dwell together, and God's that that's not going to work. That little apron that you've made for yourself, you're trying to clothe yourself with your idea of what a good person is. What you've forgotten is all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. God said, that's not enough. Have you read the end of Genesis 3? The Bible says God took an animal, had the animal killed, and then clothed them with the skin of that animal. What you put on to cover up your mistakes is not acceptable in the sight of God in verse 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us now now, folks not just saved us from an eternal lake of fire although thank God that's part of salvation when Jesus saves a person he saves them from verse 3 he saves you from being the wretched sinner of verse 3 Does he save you from hell? Yes, that's part of it. But salvation, the effects of it, begin immediately. According to his mercy, he saved us, watch it, by the washing of regeneration. Washing, that's having your sins washed in the blood of Christ. Regeneration, that's the new birth. You you get made alive alive. Through Christ. You were once dead in sins. Now you're alive. By the washing of regeneration. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. He's made you that new creature in Christ. That's not something you can do on your own. Can you make yourself a better version of you? Yes. Can you conform yourself to the image of Christ. Through your own efforts and strength? Never. That you cannot do. The Spirit of God must come in and begin to work in your life. Listen folks, you cannot be born into that. I've heard it way too often. While I was born into a Christian home, that does not get you the washing of regeneration. That does not make you a new creature in Christ. Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. All of this is possible. You can be made right in the sight of God. Become part of God's eternal plan. You can be washed in the blood. You can be born again. You can be made a new person. All of that's possible because of this abundant love and kindness that God sent down. Now here is the tipping point. Will you accept what Christ has done for you? That's what it all comes down to. Now, in order to get to that point, to say, I'll take it, you first have to admit that you're verse 3. Once you admit, I'm verse 3, and I'm not going to make it because I'm verse 3, but I accept verse 4 and 5, I know that God sent his son out of kindness and love. I can't save myself, so he's going to have to save me. Then you can get to verse 7, and you can say, God, are we all right? And God looks down from heaven and says, we're all right. You're part of my eternal plan. I'm going to work in you until the day I resurrect you and bring you up here to live with me forever. Years ago, there was a man named George Whitefield, great preacher of the First Great Awakening. God used that man to bring revival to America, and I mean the entire nation. Sometimes he would have 80,000 people come to hear him preach. They heard he was in town and people would walk sometimes or come by horse and buggy from a hundred miles away just to come hear this man preach. Can you imagine 80,000 people standing in fields and this man didn't have a microphone. He could preach to 80,000 people just with his voice. Oh, I'm jealous. (laughs) He'd preach two hours like that he would finish the sermon and the people, the people would say, come back, come back and make him preach again. Oh, those were the days. George Whitfield made a wonderful comment on this subject. He said, what's wrong with preachers today? And of course, he's 1700s. But he said, what's wrong with the preachers today is they're no longer preaching Jesus Christ. They only preach a heathen morality. I'm afraid... The problem of Whitfield's day is still happening today. We have people under the title of Christian preacher standing up and say, let's make better versions of ourselves for Jesus' sake. Guys, that's not the plan. The plan is to be made right in the sight of God by accepting the kindness and love and letting Him work in you don't trust your morality, your best efforts. You're saved not by works of righteousness which you've done, but you can be saved this morning by accepting what Christ has done for you. My question to you this morning, have you been made right in the sight of God? As we end this sermon, I'd like for you, we're going to stand, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes in just a moment. As we do, I'd like for you to ask yourselves this question, or actually, I'd like for you to ask God, are we all right? Essentially, what I'm asking you is, are you saved? I'm not asking if you were born in a Christian home. I'm not asking if you come to church. I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life where God has looked down and said, you were once, verse 3, But because you accepted my son, now you're verse 7. Has that happened in your life? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Take a moment or two. Examine your heart. The music is going to play softly. Please do not leave simply assuming everything's all right with you and God. Don't just assume it. Based on verse 3, that's a false assumption. Have you been washed in the blood? Have you been regenerated, born again have you become a new creature in Christ you say well I turned over a new leaf and I'm trying better I'm, I'm trying hard that's not the same thing I appreciate the effort but it's not the same thing God can not only save you from hell; He can save you from that sinful life. Some are praying. I'd like to give you a moment to do the same. Would you ask God just, just quickly, with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Would you ask Him, God, are we all right? What does He say? in a moment we'll close we're not going to rush to it but we will close And as I do I'm going to pray but I'd like to pray specifically for any of you this morning maybe you came this morning and all you are is verse 3 but today you've seen that the kindness and love of God can get you to verse 7 You can be made right in God's sight. Would you be willing to just put your hand up? You can put it right back down. But you say, preacher, I'd like for you to pray for me. I don't think everything's right between God and I. I've never been saved. Born again. That hasn't happened to me. And I want God to help me. I want to get saved. Anybody like that? You just put your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that everything's right between God and me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. i tell you what's exciting. Those hands that went up, before they leave, they could hear God say in their heart, everything is alright. I remember the day that God told me that. 3rd of August, 1996. I'll never forget the time, the place. Saturday morning at my pastor's house. Got down on my knees in his living room and asked Jesus to save my soul. I walked out of that house with God saying in my heart, everything's all right. Wouldn't you like that this morning? How about you come to Christ? You can do just what I did. Say, Lord Jesus, please. I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve a life with you. But I know you love me. And I know Jesus is enough. Please come into my heart and save me. Would you pray that? Would you put your faith in Him and Him alone this morning? Not in what you're doing. In what He did on the cross for you. Would you do that? Father, thank You so, so much for the kindness and the love that You abundantly gave us. Oh God, we didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve that. Thank You for sending Your Son. And Father, may it never grow old to us that such a wonderful, holy, loving God would be so kind and loving towards people like us. Please, Lord, don't let mercy and grace just become things we take for granted. God, those hands that went up, please touch those sinners' hearts this morning. God, please, even right now, help them, Lord. Lord, draw them to you. Lord, as they call upon your name, would you speak in their heart and let them know that everything's all right. Lord, for those of us that are saved, help us, God, to appreciate what You've done. And we want You to continue working in us until one day we see Your blessed face. Thank You, Lord, for working amongst us this morning. Please bring us back tonight, God. We we want to learn more. Teach us more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.